the son of David. So Matthew's gospel begins by identifying Jesus as the son of David. Unlike Luke, who places his genealogy in the fourth chapter of his gospel and stretches that genealogy all the way back to Adam, Matthew, for his part, opens his gospel with a genealogy. And he uses his genealogy to connect Jesus with David. Jesus, Matthew writes, is the son of David. We spoke last week about the significance of Luke's genealogy, about how for Luke, connecting Jesus to Adam underscored Jesus' significance for Luke as the new Adam, as the prototype for redeemed humanity. Well, today we turn our attention to Matthew's genealogy and to how for Matthew, connecting Jesus to David underscores Jesus' significance for Matthew of Jesus being the long-awaited king of Israel as Jesus being the new King David. Having said that, let us remember the days of King David's reign were the glory days for ancient Israel. So much so that for centuries and centuries after David's reign, throughout the civil war of the 9th century BCE, And then throughout the Babylonian exile three centuries later. And then throughout the return to the promised land some 70 years after that. And then finally throughout the various empires under whose rule they'd lived ever since. So fondly remembered were the days of King David's reign that throughout all that time, throughout some eight centuries to be exact, throughout all that time, all of Israel had been awaiting the prophesied coming of a new King David of a descendant from David's line who would restore the kingdom and the power and the glory to Israel once more. This is who and what Israel had long been waiting for. And the express purpose of Matthew's gospel then is to make the case that this is who and what Jesus of Nazareth was. This long-awaited king this new King David. And now, with that as prologue, let us pray together before we dive into the gospel text. Pray with me, please. Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still that we might hear from you. Amen. There in first century Judea, Matthew writes, a people waited eagerly for the coming of a new King David. And as they waited, Matthew shows their hope and their expectation was that this new king would soon enough seize authority by force. 
For it would be through the exercise of remarkable power, it had long been assumed, that this new king would overtake Rome and reinstate Israel to its former glory. And once he did, it had likewise been assumed, this new king's rule and authority would go on forever. Such was the long-awaited hope. Such had the Israelites long been waiting for. And thus, as we read Matthew's gospel, we see crowds all the while hoping for this in the person of Jesus. Hoping, that is, for this kind of conquering, take-no-prisoners, world-upending persona. Just as we see a contrast in Matthew's gospel from the very beginning between Jesus and King Herod. King Herod, the current king of Israel. A king who demonstrates his own approach to leadership through violence and shrewdness and manipulation. Just look back through Matthew's gospel and you'll see it there. It's there from the very beginning, this stark contrast between two kinds of kings and two kinds of kingdoms. And so it is then that when we pick up with our gospel text for this morning, which comes to us from Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just announced his own royal status using the pointed words, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then, having made this announcement, he delivers his first address. And in this address, over against the ruthlessness of kings like Herod and Caesar, Jesus instead extols the power of humility and restraint. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, in what we today call the Sermon on the Mount. And blessed are the grieving, and blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are the gentle-hearted, and on and on and on Jesus goes, elevating characteristics of humanity that are humble and peaceable and tempered in nature, rather than dominant and vengeful and overpowering. And it would have been one thing had this just been a rhetorical ploy to win him sympathy from the downtrodden of the population. If this had just been some cynical political calculation on his part. But then from there, Jesus' entire public activity went on to mirror these idealistic words. Go back and reread the gospel, you'll see he really did day in and day out shun the powerful in favor of those who were hurting and in need. He really did day in and day out turn down possibilities of promotion so as to continue attending to the vulnerable and the weak. He really did day in and day out try to make peace in places and between groups where and with whom such peacemaking would inevitably lead to his own diminishment and marginalization. Yes, he did all of this and much more like it daily. And Matthew's key point here in his gospel is to point out that it baffled everyone that he did this. Baffled them. Even Peter, his most devoted disciple, struggled to understand it. 
You can't do it this way, Lord. Matthew says to him in chapter 16, you can't get power this way. You'll never win in this way. It just won't work. To which Jesus rebukes Peter saying, you, Peter, have in mind the way of these worldly kingdoms. Not the way of my kingdom, not the way of the divine kingdom to come. This Jesus says to Peter in chapter 16, and from there Matthew's gospel then becomes essentially a tale of two kingdoms. Matthew's hope being that future readers will then find the kingdom represented by Jesus more desirable and more worthy of their lives' devotion than the kingdoms that are represented by folks like Herod and Caesar. A tale of two kingdoms. Yes, the son of David, Matthew writes, at the very beginning of his gospel, his entire narrative thereby making the case, the one either sees in this Jesus the new King David, or one doesn't. That one either sees the regal power that is latent within true humility, or one doesn't. That one either sees the priority of caring for others before oneself, or one doesn't. That one either sees the paramount need for empathy and righteousness and compassion for all human beings, or one doesn't. Yes, one either sees the glory of Jesus' humble kingdom, Matthew is saying, or one just doesn't. Just doesn't. And then to make this point crystal clear, Matthew, Matthew alone among all four gospel writers, to make this point, Jesus then tells the story in Matthew's gospel of the king. The parable of the king. And here in this parable, here in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew's tale of two kingdoms reaches its climax. Matthew's counterintuitive message hereby becoming crystal clear. On the final day, the parable says, the king will gather all nations unto himself and he will serve as both king and judge. And the way this king will judge, the parable says, will be determined by how one has responded to the words from the Sermon on the Mount. Did we care for others, even when it wasn't going to benefit us? Did we have compassion for others, even when they were strangers and enemies? Did we comfort and console others, even when it was going to make us uncomfortable or put us out? Did we do these things? Or did we look past and step upon and turn a blind eye to and take advantage of others? 
Blessed are those, the parable ends by saying. Blessed are those who hear these words and take heed of them. For come, the king will say unto such as these, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit this kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundations of the world. The king in question, Matthew's parable makes clear, is King Jesus, the new King David. And the question Matthew's gospel is ultimately asking then is, will we give our loyalty to this king and to his kingdom, or will we not? Yes, Matthew's gospel is indeed a tale of two kingdoms. And on that fateful Friday that comes at Matthew's gospel's end, it appeared to be the worst of times for the kingdom of Jesus. For on that fateful day, this same man whom Matthew has been describing, this same humble King Jesus, is summarily hung upon a tree, crucified by the kingdoms and the powers and the glories that day in and day out dominate this broken world. And in that way, Peter and all the other doubters and naysayers like him were proven right. For there on that cross, we see the ultimate rejection and defeat of the peaceable kingdom of Jesus. But the irony at the heart of the gospel is this. That what looked to be the worst of times was in fact the best of times. The best of times because three days later that crucified king would rise from the grave, death unable to hold him, his kingdom thereby vindicated as the true kingdom, as the divine and the future coming kingdom. In fact, so much so was this kingdom vindicated on that day that soon enough this same disbelieving, incredulous Peter himself in his own sermon would lift his voice for all who could hear and he would say, let the entire house of Israel Israel know with certainty that God has made him both king and Messiah, this Jesus whom you have crucified. This Jesus whom you have crucified. This Jesus crucified by the supposed powers that be. This new King David. This regent of God's kingdom come. Matthew wrote this gospel some 2,000 years ago. But all these years later, the choice between these two kingdoms remains ours to make daily. Do we want a king? and a kingdom of power and glory and prestige and might, a king and a kingdom that will underwrite all of our own preferences and partialities and predilections, a king like Herod and a kingdom like Caesar's? Or do we want a king and a kingdom of righteousness and fairness and humility and justice? 
A king and a kingdom that will ensure that all people are looked after and loved on and cared for. A king like Jesus and a kingdom like the one he first described in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, Matthew wants to show us, is indeed the long-awaited king. And Jesus' kingdom, Matthew wants to show us, is the embodiment of the words Jesus preached in his inaugural address. Thus, Matthew's gospel wants to raise a pointed question. A question every bit as pointed for us today as for those who first read it 2,000 years ago. Is this crucified Jesus the kind of king we wish to follow? And is his peaceable kingdom the kind of kingdom our hearts most desire? We do well to search our hearts and to take inventory of our lives before we hazard a response to such questions. Blessed are those, Matthew's gospel assures us. Blessed are those who hear this question and with both their lips and their lives answer both of them, yes. May we be among those who do. And all God's people said, amen. And I'll be down front now to receive any who might want to give their lives to this King Jesus the risen and ascended Lord, following Him as Lord and Savior, any who might want to recommit themselves to His way, any who might want to join our community here at Boulevard, or any who simply want to pray with me about any manner of things on your heart.